I want to uh, talk to you about uh, family life, and I want to offer this couple of thoughts. First one is that we are shaped very much by presuppositions, and this might give us a bit more introduction to get to this video if we can. We're shaped very much by presuppositions. Now, what's a presupposition? It's an assumption that's often unconscious that you operate with. And our society has fed us a bunch of assumptions that kind of operate underneath the surface for us about the way we think about life. Uh, and these assumptions change. So over 20, 30 years, you get new assumptions, new assumptions, new assumptions. They just become part of the air we breathe. I'll give you some of the assumptions we operate at, at present. Um, personal rights. We have a view of personal rights uh, or rights that means a person should be able to have whatever they want when they want it. That's my right. Do you see? Now, that's an assumption that we operate with. Uh, equality. We operate with an assumption about equality, that equality equals equivalence. To be equal with someone else, you need to be the same as that person if you're truly to be equal. Equality equals equivalence. That's just an assumption that's kind of living around our world and we breathe the air of that. Truth. Um, we live with an assumption about truth, that there's not this thing called the truth out there. Truth is personal. And so I can have my truth, you can have your truth, and uh, there's no thing out there that can actually say which truth is really true. That's how we got... Um, that's, people are actually identifying that that's how we got Donald Trump in power. Now, I don't know what your view of Donald Trump is, but uh, the left-wing media is making a great deal of the fact that what's happened in part is that he ran a program, ran a set of policies that were um, truthless, it didn't matter what he said, he just said what he needed to say and he'll change it as he went along. That's the kind of climate they're suggesting has occurred. Truth. So you watch some of these assumptions play out in this video. What would your response be? Good for you, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> No, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I 
don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five or Chinese or a woman. Wow. Does that scare you? Now it's America. <laughs> and you kind of go, well, yeah. But do you see what's happened there? There's a bunch of students who have drunk deeply of a set of assumptions that operate in our community, and they've really taken them on. And they've said, wow, truth, truth, whatever you want it to be. Uh, wrong, right, there's no such thing as wrong, right. You know, I can't ever say anyone else is wrong. Perhaps if they think they're six foot five, I might be tempted to say you're wrong, but even then I'd debate you and discuss. Um, if you want to be a woman, you can be a woman. If you want to ingrate, there's a kind of a. Now, I think Australia is not as far ahead as America, or, or as far back, or whatever it is, but we're not as far down that path. So we can still look at that end, laugh, yeah? There's something quite strange going on there, but it's based on a set of assumptions. Now, I want to suggest to you that those kinds of assumptions and a number of others play out in the way we think about family, play out in the way we think about family. And I'm going to take you through quite a difficult process. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, I'll give you some of the assumptions that we operate with, and I'm going to suggest how it plays out and try and convince you of three things today, and then we'll have a question time so you can actually push around stuff. Uh, one of the things about church I want to suggest to you, one of the things I love about church and we want to create and keep cultivated as a church as a place where you discuss, where you actually engage and think and push back and wrestle with. Uh, church for us, there's much to be, uh, to be hearing but we want to actually push around. That's why this weekend we've got a topic on God and evolution which should be a fantastic time together. Anyway, let me give you some assumptions that operate in the area of family. Um, uh, equality equals equivalence. Men and women. An assumption that's operating today is that there are no differences between men and women except biological. Men and women are the same in every way except they carry different physical things on their bodies. Um, uh, um, love is all that matters. doesn't matter who gives it. It's an assumption that we operate with. Love is all that matters. It doesn't matter who gives it. Fatherhood is not as important as motherhood. Now, fatherhood is somewhat optional as an assumption in our day. Um, sex. Uh, sex is only for pleasure, is an assumption we operate with today. Uh, gender. Gender is fluid. Gender can be whatever you want it to be. Gender is not tied to biology. It's an assumption we operate with today. Now, here's the three things I want to convince you of. <coughs> First one. Uh, uh, a child needs a father and mother for life and health. Now, I'm going to try and convince you of that very briefly, that that's actually the case. A child needs a father and mother for life and health. Um, it has been the case, hasn't it, that if we want a child to come into our world, it needs something from a mum and a dad to make that happen. 
Yeah? Okay. Um, it has been the case that for that to occur, it needs a man and a woman to come together in a sexual union for there to be a child able to be born. Now, we've got uh, some medical procedures now that can enable an extraordinary exception to that, but it's an extraordinary exception. Uh, children come through uh, the, the joining together of a male and a female, and their bodies are physically made to do that. Yes? So there's, there's actually something about a female body and a male body physically that if it's not designed, it's a very good accident. <laughs> that it makes it so that they're coming together in a physical act that has emotions attached to it. Uh, that's why we used to call it making love, not just sex, you see. Making love. So there's actually physical emotions attached to that activity that conceives a child. Men and women are necessary for that. Um, now, that is, that's um, unique. You need to be aware of this, that in the animal kingdom, not every animal needs to do what we do to get an offspring. You get that, don't you? I love worms. I mean, actually, I don't love worms, but I love what I'm about to tell you about worms. I think worms are fascinating. You know, worms can create offspring by just breaking off bits of themselves. You know, there's some worms that do that. And, um, and so, you, you know, you just imagine, you want another child? Just do your fingernails. There's... Wouldn't that, wouldn't that, I mean, there'd be something very attractive about that, wouldn't there? Um, no pain, no goodness in the midst of it, but no pain. I can just have another kid, uh, quick lop off another fingernail. It's, um, now, the, the human uh, is unique in the animal kingdom in the way it produces a child. Mammals do it like we do in a sense, but there's not the same love and affection that's associated with it. Um, that's, uh, that's quite unique. We've found that to be the case. Children, uh, human children, then need... Uh, for their best development. Here's, I've got to be careful here. And this is why we're not hearing this, actually, because no one wants to hear it. It's offensive. But let me, let's say it. Kids do best in growing to health with their biological mum and dad in loving, stable union. Now, all the research tells us that. Um, that a kid does best. There are less roadblocks, impediments to their health... Uh, if they're together with their biological mum and dad who are in a loving, stable union. Now, that equation changes if the mum and dad are in a violent relationship that actually uh, produces very negative results for kids. Now, that's the, that's the kind of normal standard. Uh, it's, uh, it's not to judge other... This is where we've got to be careful. I'm not at all saying, therefore, other families are bad and terrible. Um, there are some of us uh, um, in our church, all through our church, who have not been able to um, establish that kind of relationship with their kids through all kinds of various reasons. We've got lovely, wonderful families who uh, adopt children, um, and so they're obviously raising a child who's not their biological offspring. Um, and uh, and they, they recognise, though, they recognise that there are going to therefore be some roadblocks to their child's health that they need to minimise as best they can. Do you see? But in a loving, stable marriage with a husband and wife who've got their, their kid, those roadblocks are minimised already. Yeah, that's all it is. It doesn't mean a kid raised in a family who's had a break and they're not with their mum and, and they're in a single... It doesn't mean that kid can't grow up healthy and well. 
there's just lots more roadblocks. There's lots more impediments to that process. Yes, um, that's the research telling us. Uh, and as a church, we are very keen to support families in all those different contexts. We actually have a whole raft of families, single parent, um, uh, you know, broken family, uh, adoptive, all, all of that kind of range. And it's wonderful to see the love and care and support across the whole span of church life. Now, my comments at this point aren't religious. Yeah. A kid needs a man and a woman to come together to come, to be a kid. <laughs> that's not a religious comment, that's just a life comment. And children do better in a stable, loving union of their biological mother and father. That's not a religious comment, that's just a fact of life. Um, now, a few things follow from that. Our society's health our society's health depends on a man and woman coming together in loving, stable union. If we don't have men and women come together to create children, where are we in 50 years' time? This is a simple thing, isn't it? And in fact, interestingly, in societies that become more... who buy into these set of assumptions about equality equals equivalence and um, uh, freedoms and so on, people, societies that buy into these more... Uh, families have smaller families. Mums and dads have less kids because... When a woman has a child, it is a significant impact on their marketability in the world of economy. Do you appreciate that? It's not a level playing field. As soon as a, a woman gets pregnant, it, she is disadvantaged in the marketplace. And as soon as she gives birth, she's disadvantaged because when a child's born, the mum has to be there. When a child's born, the man doesn't have to be there. This is a fact of nature. So he can keep at work. Yeah? She can't. And for those early period of time, uh, suckling and so on, she has to be with the child. He doesn't have to be with the child. Um, these, are just, these are just facts of reality. So the health of a society, if we're going to have healthy kids, if we're going to have kids, we need men and women to come together. If we're going to have healthy kids... Uh, who can contribute to society well, who can be robust emotionally, who can be able and capable and givers and looking outward. And so we're going to have all of that with our children. The best thing we can do is encourage men and women to come together in loving, stable union for life for the sake of their kids. It's just a, a fact, okay? Um, and you see in various subcultures in America where that's not the norm and society breaks down, Okay. Now, again, it's not to say that if you're in a context where your, your child's not with their biological mum and dad, that that's the end. No, 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 no. There's, uh, there's much support and care that can be provided that help kids grow through all of that, but you've got to grow through it. That's just a reality, okay? None of this, again, is religious. Um, and it has been said, kids of broken homes, um, it's like breaking a pencil in that um, you lose the, the end of the pencil, but you can sharpen it again. It's just it's not the same pencil anymore. So there, there is an impact, but you can reclaim much. And it's wonderful and good and all, so it's not to condemn or judge at all. But it's much easier for kids if they grow up in the context of a healthy home with mum and dad uh, loving them and each other. Um, you know, none of that is easy to achieve. It's not easy to achieve mum and dad together with their offspring in loving relationship. That is not easy. I've been married 30 years. Um, and I think the last time we fought was yesterday. 
There you go. Uh, and maybe still today, I just need to go and check how things are going. <laughs> so it, it's not easy to do, right? Because you've got two people who are basically selfish, uh, who get together and have to live with each other through all the ups and downs of life, all the stresses and strains of life. And Kathy's not easy to live with. I just have to deal with that. No, no. <laughs> Um, you know, you've got two people who have got both got problems who come to it. Now, most... All, well, hang on, what am I saying? Most All of you know that, yeah? All of you know that. Um, and, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, there is a prize, a treasure, at the end of 50 years of being faithful to your husband or wife in loving union. There's a prize at the end of that that is pure gold. But you don't get there by just wanting to be there. And you can't buy it. You've got to work at it. You've got to work through it. And one of the problems with our young guys today, young guys and girls, is that um, they're in a society where they think you can just get what you want if you want it. No. You've got to put in years of work to get it. Some things. Yes? And so we want to kind of cultivate and nurture in our church a kind of robustness and a seriousness amongst our young adults that when they think about getting together with a man or a woman, that they actually think, I'm going to work at this for life. I'm going to do what it takes to, make, to get that treasure. So we're, that's one of the big things we're about. Um, now, none, again, this, none of this is religious. Let me add the religious bit. We're convinced that all of that's the case because God made it so. It's intentional that God made us to have offspring that come from a loving union of a man and a woman who would stick at things through thick and thin together. It's, it's our conviction that God intended that to be the case, that we might see in some small measure his love of us, who sticks with us through thick and thin. A God who is love, who wants us to know and share love. So we're convinced that's actually God. There's the first thing I want to convince you of, that a child needs a man and woman to come together for life, for their existence and their health. First thing. Second thing. The way we think about marriage today is new. It's never been the case any time in history. The way we think of... This is not with same-sex. I'm not talking about same-sex marriage. but I'm talking about just the way we think about marriage. You ask someone in the street... Well, I could ask any of you... What is marriage? What is marriage? And it's almost certainly the case, 90% of the time, someone will respond by saying, it's the public affirmation of a romantic attachment a woman has for another person, a man has for another person. What is marriage? It's two people who love each other being um, confirmed in that relationship by a public ceremony. Two people who love each other, having that affirmed by a public ceremony. That's what people say. Is it, you've heard that? This is not weird for you? Yeah, because that's how we think about marriage. That's a new way of thinking. That's a new way of thinking. Um, you know, um, uh, I will call it the romantic affirmation view of marriage. The romantic affirmation view of marriage. Where your romantic attachment to another person is affirmed in a ceremony. Um, now, where has that come from? I think it's come from Hollywood. It's come from adults pursuing their rights. It's come from a, a society where we are less aware of sex being attached to offspring. 
So sex is just about pleasure. Um, we are more concerned about getting as much out of this life as we can, and so we want a companion and a loving relationship where we can enjoy one another. That's, that's kind of the genesis of all of this thinking that we've imbibed. Um, now, uh, that's new. I'll tell you the way traditionally marriage has been understood. Traditionally, marriage has been understood as the public endorsement of a man and woman coming together for the sake of children and the good order of society. That's what marriage has been. There's lots of relationships that you can have in a society. You can have friends, partners, um, affection for other people, all kinds of different friendships. But there's only one that's actually attracted the concern of the community to publicly endorse it. There's only one relationship that's uh, attracted the public concern of the community to endorse it officially. And that's the union of a man and a woman for the sake of children. Now, why do you think this society has been concerned particularly for that relationship? The coming of a man and woman together for the sake of children. Why would we care more about that than any other relationship? Because it's our future. It's our future. If we don't protect that unique relationship, there is no other relationship that can produce a child and then raise it in the context of its biological parents. There's no other relationship in the planet that you can pull that off with. That's just reality, yeah? Well, why would we care about that particular relationship? Because if we don't have men and women coming together to produce children, we're lost. If we don't have men and women coming together in loving union, faithfully supporting one another for the sake of their kids, the kids will be broken. And we need healthy kids. So we've got to care for that relationship particularly. Marriage has always been in every society an awareness that that particular relationship of man, woman to produce children and lovingly care for them is unique of all the kinds of relationships you can have. And so we've given it a special name, we've called it marriage. And we've appointed people to ensure that there's checks and balances in the way that a relationship happens. We don't care about other friendships. We don't send someone to go and check whether your roommate, flatmate, has gone through a certain process before you moved in together. Oh, we don't care. But that one we do. Okay? Um, let me give the third thing I want to persuade you of, and then I'll throw for questions. I think we've got time. We're doing all right. If same-sex marriage becomes law, it will change everyone's marriage. Now, that needs some discussion. Because I think most of us assume that if same-sex marriage becomes law, then it affects just a few people who want to have same-sex unions. I don't want to have a same-sex union. It won't affect me. And there's only a small group of them who want it. So what's the big deal? Like, I'm not sure I understand all the ins and outs, but why can't we just let them, that small group, have it? It won't impact it. My marriage won't be different because of it. Isn't that how most of us think? Well, let me try and express the case for why that's naive. Um, the only reason we can be even countenancing the possibility of same-sex marriage is because we've changed the way we think about marriage. How is it that we can be talking about a man and a man being married together? It's because we think about marriage as simply the public affirmation of two people's love for each other. Because we already think marriage is just the public affirmation of two people's love for each other, then and men and women are no different except physically, why not have a man and a man publicly affirm their love for each other? You see? 
So because we have a different view of marriage, a new view of marriage, that it's just about loving affection, a romantic attachment for another person, let's just have that happen for men and men then. What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. That new view of marriage, that it's simply romantic, uh, the affirmation of a romantic attachment for one another, is not a strong enough foundation to build a union that lasts. If marriage is built on, if the basis of my marriage to another person is simply that they are someone I have a romantic affection for, what happens in five years' time when they uh, leave the toilet seat up again or down again or whichever one it or and don't pick up their clothes and don't do the garbage like they ought to and I get angry and I'm slowly falling out of affection and love for them. What happens in five years' time when I no longer have that romantic attachment with them anymore? What do I do? Well, if marriage is about romantic attachment, it's a matter of integrity that I no longer be married because I don't have a romantic attachment anymore. Do you see? So if I've defined marriage as romantic attachment, romantic loving affection, and I don't have that, what am I doing? Go and find someone where I have that with, because that's what marriage is. So we're told. Therefore, if you found your marriage on romantic affection attachment, it is a very unstable basis. It's not a very good glue to hold a couple together. Now, why does that matter? For our kids and the good order of society. We need to actually firm up marriage so that it is strong enough to last through all the ups and downs for the sake of our children, and they might grow up as best we're able to grow them, for the sake of society. Now, if we bring in same-sex marriage, we will have legislated, we will have established in legislation that marriage is romantic attachment. And it's not about kids. Do you see what we would have just done? We will have made law the weakest possible view of marriage so that everyone who gets married may not marry a same-sex partner but they'll marry thinking it's about romantic attachment which will be a very weak glue to hold them together which means we'll see marriages crumble even more and our kids will be the victims of all of that. Do you see what happens? This is not a trivial issue. This actually has ramifications for... All of us, our whole society, our next generation, the generations after. This is not just about the 2%, 1% of the population who identify as homosexual and the 0.5, who want to get married. This is not just about them. It's about them legislating now for all of us the way we think about marriage so that every 18-year-old who grows up into 19, 20, 25-year-old thinking about marriage thinks about it as if it's romantic attachment and not the comprehensive union of a man and woman for the sake of children. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. That's a profound change. Which is why we speak about it. Now again, do you notice, there's nothing particularly religious in what I've said. Except that I think it's God's purposed intention that we have a man and woman come together in loving union for the sake of children as an expression of his love for us. As a God who loves. There you go. I'm going to pause there. Why don't we see if there's any questions? Okay. If you if you do have a question, so Andrew's made 
some remarkable statements, some of which may be new to you, and we want to encourage you to ask your questions. Yeah. So if you do have a question, pop your hand up, and we'll get a microphone to you. They're all in shock, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we've got a question over here. Thanks, Andrew. Um, I'm just wondering, so you said that you think that changing legislation around marriage will change the way we view marriage, but you also said the way we view marriage has already changed, and I'm wondering if um, we're already seeing in heterosexual marriages that, so the, the average length of a marriage is like, what, seven years? Is that, someone said that, about seven years. So marriages are already falling apart because we're perhaps viewing them differently. So how would changing legislation change that if it's already changed yeah uh, well thank you um our, our view of marriage has changed it will be secured as that change that's what will happen it'll secure it as the change which means if i teach other than that view of marriage i will be uh susceptible to um law, law court case against me um uh so uh berkeley vale but here we go. We have a church up in a high school, a number of churches up this way, and I'm actually just checking to see if those guys are happy for me to say some of this. I can see Sam, but I can't see anyone else up there. Yep, cool. okay. So we've got a number of churches who are working in, using Sundays, the public high school hall. Um, they have just read parts of the Bible that talks about homosexuality in the Old Testament uh, and talked a lot about grace, love and so on. They've been... Um, They've been publicly uh, rebuked for that activity and said if they do it again, they won't be allowed to use public schools on a Sunday. The SBS ran an article about called Gay Hate Speech. Um, there are big things happening. Uh, the Department of Education we're working with now to actually clarify what can we say and not say? What, are you going to police what churches can say? Um, now, I'm moving off the point I'll come back to in a second. It's just close to my heart. And so we've got a letter back recently that says, if, if you teach against anything that's now legal, you won't be able to use, you'll breach the policies of the Department of Education and you'll lose your right to be in the school. Now, they gave some illustrations. If you teach against sex outside of marriage, you will lose your right to access to the school. Get that? If a church says you ought not have sex outside of marriage... Now, wow, this is not about homosexuality anymore. Um, now, be that as may, if it secures in law a different view, it means we won't be able to teach another way, or we will at great risk, and we need to do that. Um, uh, but what it does is it, it secures a problem that's been there, it secures it, and we can't reclaim it, we can't repair it, we can't fix it, except in the context of churches where we'll get ministers sent to prison and it will happen yeah and i've already voted who's going to be the minister who has that happen to john baldwin he's the one oh, and then i'll be a single parent that'll be great so <laughs> but we've got a church that's so supportive and helpful do we have any other questions here yeah this will be the last one my son goes to a selective high school, so he gets taught all sorts of interesting things. And um, the verses in Leviticus that he shows me about um, same-sex marriage and gay, uh, you know, 
different sort of people's ideas of things. Um, he points out that, you know, it, it says that it's abomination, but also that women who um, have had sex outside of marriage who were told that they should be stoned and no longer stoned because of the New Testament. So how does those verses in Leviticus, how are they changed relating to the changes that happen in the New Testament? Yeah, yeah, good, good. This is good, this is good. We, we need more of this discussion, I think. Um, that w- one of the things that you don't find in the Quran that you find in the Bible is that there's a massive historical shift deliberately spoken about in the Bible that you just don't get in the Quran. It's just the way it is and the Quran's the way it is. There's a shift with the coming of Jesus. He says, so much of the Old Testament was pointing to me, I'm here now, change. And you've got to read that. That's a de- biblically, it's a de- deliberate thing that occurs. So the food laws that, you know, it was wrong to eat lobster. Jesus in Mark 7 says, nah, that was just a point to me, I'm here now, you can eat lobster. You know, um, those kind of things happen. So the Jews, he's saying, no, profound change. Um, now, the question to ask is, is the, is, is the biblical concern about homosexuality in the Old Testament one of those things that changes into the new with Jesus? Um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 19, two significant places in the gospel record, says, um, in reaction to some religious hypocrisy, he says, no, no, don't you remember what God said in the beginning? Uh, he, he made us man and woman, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and so what he does is he teaches the God's intention for marriage remains that of a man and a woman come together. So whatever changes occurred, that foundational piece has not changed at all. Yeah. So there's much more to be said, but there's a quick... Is that... yeah, now let me... Um, I'd love to catch up some more. The... Um, just some books. I thought uh, someone asked me to give you some books. There's, uh, if you want, uh, uh, depends on your and your interest reading level. Uh, there's, there's there's a superb book called What Is Marriage. Uh, it's an engagement with the deeper philosophical issues about what marriage is, uh, the traditional view, the old classic view, the modern view, and so on. That that is very very helpful. Um, easy to read is a book called Revolutionary Sex. Um, a man called William Taylor, who's the rector of a church in London, who was in church with us on Sunday, by the way. So, um, interestingly, he was uh, there together with us. Um, but uh, that's a helpful book. It's on the bookshop. Uh, Tim Keller has written The Meaning of Marriage. Um, helpful, easy to read, uh, a great encouragement too. So, there you go, some books. Great. And I'm happy to talk afterwards. Thanks, Andrew. Let's give him a hand as he puts down. <clears throat>